You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Patch Tuesday was a big one this month. Microsoft Exchange Server remains under active attack in the wild, with new threat actors hopping on the opportunity. Russia denies it had anything to do with the SolarWinds incident and says the kinds of U.S. response that the word on the streets tells them are under consideration would be nothing more than international crime. Activists strike a blow against cameras. Joe Kerrigan has thoughts on Google's plans for third-party cookies. Our guest is Kevin Coleman from the National Cybersecurity Alliance on how educators can better protect students' privacy during distance learning sessions. And police in the Low Country sweep up more than 100 cyber crooks. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, March 10th, 2021. Yesterday's Patch Tuesday was a big one. Microsoft, who's been urging users to patch Exchange Server, pushed fixes for 89 vulnerabilities. 14 of which Redmond rated critical. These are in addition to last week's out-of-band patches for the actively exploited Exchange server flaws. Adobe patched its Connect, Creative Cloud, and FrameMaker products. CISA's summary yesterday indicated 21 security upgrades or mitigation for industrial control systems. Patch Tuesday aside, a great many Exchange server instances remain unpatched and open, Recorded Futures record puts the tally at more than 46,000. It's not just hafnium either. The scramble to exploit Exchange Server while the exploitation is good continues. ESET says they found at least 10 distinct threat groups actively working against the vulnerabilities, some state-sponsored, others apparently criminal, some still unidentified. They include Tick, Lucky Mouse, Calypso, Tonto Team, Microscene, Winty Group, the last three are espionage groups, and DLT Miner, a cryptojacking gang. Axios summarizes the ways in which a state-initiated cyber operation rapidly spreads to other actors in other precincts in cyberspace. There's been much advice given on how to respond to the current campaigns against Exchange Server. Patching and updating are important, 
Unfortunately, however, they're a necessary but not sufficient response. There's a good deal more to be done to locate and expel the threat actors from a compromised enterprise. We'll say it again that it's worth taking a good look at the guidelines CISA has provided to help walk organizations through the challenges of responding to this threat. You can find them on the uscert.gov website. The U.S. government continues its deliberations over how to respond to both the exchange server exploitation wave and, especially, the solar wind supply chain compromise. China's Hafnium Group is widely held responsible for the campaign against Exchange Server. The supply chain compromise involving SolarWinds Orion platform is generally attributed to Russia under the general threat actor named Holiday Bear. The legal complexities of any such response were covered during last week's annual Cybercom legal conference. Russia has denied involvement in the solar winds operation and yesterday said, according to U.S. News & World Report, that U.S. retaliation would amount to international cybercrime. An essay in Wired argues that it's difficult to say what line Russia had crossed that other nations, the U.S. included, hasn't crossed as well. This seems a way of saying that all governments collect intelligence, which is true, But while this is worth considering before, say, regarding the incident as an act of war, which so far it doesn't seem to have amounted to, it doesn't mean the governments subjected to hostile intelligence collection have to like it. Nor is it obvious why they should refrain from any sort of retaliation. The range of options would seem to include, from most to least assertive, Disruption of hostile intelligence services networks, what the kids at Fort Meade call defending forward. Economic sanctions, indictment and prosecution of spies, declaring diplomats persona non grata, closing consulates, canceling exchanges, and so on. Everyone may spy, but that doesn't mean the spied upon have to like it or forbear any sort of response. Response isn't necessarily hypocrisy. It's how espionage works. A group of hacktivists, which Bloomberg associates with the APT69420 Arson Cats Collective, accessed some 150,000 live video feeds coming into security firm Vercada. Bleeping Computer says a representative of the group, one Tilly Cotman, a reverse engineer for the group of hackers, told its reporter that the Arson Cats gained access to the cameras using a super admin account for Vercada. They found the credentials and exposed DevOps infrastructure. Some high-profile companies, Tesla and Cloudflare among them, are said to be among those whose feeds were compromised. But most of the organizations affected were smaller operations, including not only small businesses, but jails, schools, churches, pubs, museums, and so on. The arson cats say they're interested in exposing pervasive surveillance, to help create a better world and to have fun while fighting for it. Their efforts to save people from the totalitarian implications of churches, schools, museums, and small businesses trying to protect themselves from property crime will no doubt be welcomed by all who go to school, attend church, visit museums, like to patronize these small businesses in their neighborhoods, or have a drink in the local bar. Besides, property is theft anyway, right? Right? Didn't we hear that somewhere in a lecture one time or another? At any rate, Newsweek reported this morning that the arson cat's representative had been suspended by Twitter, which is true, 
their account is indeed down. Twitter offered no explanation, but Newsweek thinks it likely that the particular rule Cotman broke involved a prohibition against posting hacked material. One of the final tweets read, in the spirit of John Lennon's Imagine, What if we just absolutely ended the surveillance capitalism in two days? Tesla and others say no real damage was done. What effect the arson cat's propaganda of the deed had on various mom and pops it afflicted remains unclear, but it's probably not good. At any rate, imagine, right? And finally, police in Belgium and the Netherlands have taken down an encrypted chat platform they say was much favored by cybercriminals. They shut down Sky ECC, a company they infiltrated last month. In coordination with the takedown, they also made more than 100 arrests in sweeps they called, respectively, Operation A-Limit and Operation Argus. The record says that a lot of EncroChat customers are believed to have migrated to Sky ECC after EncroChat's proprietors, feeling the heat, absconded and closed down. Other companies that once provided criminals with encrypted comms are said to have included Enetcom, PGP Safe, and Phantom Secure. In fairness to Sky ECC, the company has issued a press release in which they dispute what's being said about them. For one thing, they say the police didn't compromise them, but rather a cloned site that was spoofing their brand. And they take strong issue with media reports that characterize them as the platform of choice for criminals. As they put it, Sky ECC has a strict zero-tolerance policy that prohibits any criminal activity on its platforms. Quote, Sky ECC users and authorized distributors are expressly prohibited under the terms of service from using or distributing a Sky ECC device for any illicit, illegal, or criminal use. Any accounts used for criminal activity are immediately deactivated. End quote. And they say that they haven't been taken down, only disrupted, and that they're back up and in operation. So take that, coppers. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. 
Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. As we head into our second year of dealing with the effects of the COVID pandemic, CISA and the FBI recently put out a joint statement warning K-12 educators to be alert for cyber attacks and online dangers for themselves and their students. Kelvin Coleman is executive director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance, and he offers these thoughts on how we might better prepare our teachers and students for the year ahead. We know that the education space has become a a major target for cyber criminals, um, cyber organizations. I think, in fact, the FBI, as well as the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, they recently issued a, a, a report that, and, and they briefed us out on it, saying that, you know, K-12 through schools are, are a worsening danger in 2021. Uh, they saw a 57% spike in ransomware attacks in this sector uh, just last year. Right. And, and not so ironically, the bad actors are taking advantage of uh, of the global pandemic, uh, as is their M.O. Uh, they tend to take advantage of, of uh, you know, disasters, man-made or, or natural. And so, you know, we, we are in a precarious position, um, but I do think we're going to improve uh, over the next year. What do you suppose we should be doing here? I mean, I think for a lot of us, our hearts go out to both the teachers and the students who are trying to make the most of a difficult situation. Um, You know, what sort of things can we do to support them? Yeah, we have to create a culture of cybersecurity. In today's academic environment, private sector, even public sector, we're all familiar with fire drills. You know, if a fire starts in a building, uh, we, we, we know what to do. We know the exits to go to, and, and we know how to safely exit a building. Uh, bad weather uh, in certain parts of the country. Uh, kids are drilled on it on, on a monthly basis to make sure they know what to do uh, if a tornado uh, pops up in the Midwest or, you know, unexpected rains, uh, you know, whatever the case is on the West Coast. In that same way, we need to create a culture for cybersecurity. You know, I I have to say, I I really find uh, your comparison to a fire drill to be uh, quite compelling. You know, I I think about how for most of us, you know, really from from kindergarten through 12th grade, every year, at least once a year and probably several times, you did a fire drill. And and these days, even as adults, if you find yourself, you know, back before COVID when we would go places, you find yourself in a movie theater or a restaurant or any public place. If, If there was a threat of a fire, everybody knows how to behave. Everybody knows how to act. Everybody knows, you know, to look for those exits. And it's because we were all from the very beginning, we were trained on the, the, the ways to handle those situations safely. That's a really interesting idea to bring to cyber. Well, and, and unfortunately, um, you know, the fire drills came about because, you know, kids were dying in fires, right? Uh, right. You know, it, it wasn't just this idea that, oh, this seems like a great idea. No, it was in response to something. So why in the world wouldn't we do that for technology, why wouldn't we teach these basic things to students so that they can protect themselves? I'm talking about passwords and multi-factor authentication and uh, educational awareness. And some people sometimes, you know, will say those are pretty boring things. Do you have, any, do you have anything more exciting? 
No, I don't actually, because those things work. We know that when you are able to thoroughly implement that type of training within your organization, your chances of becoming a target decreases by 40%, four zero. And so we know it works. It's just the, having the national will to be able to uh, make it a, a, a top priority. That's Kelvin Coleman, Executive Director of the National Cybersecurity Alliance. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story. This comes from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, right. And it's titled, Google to Stop Selling Ads Based on Your Specific Web Browsing. There is more to this than meets the eye, right, There's Joe? a lot more. There's a lot of moving parts in this story. Okay. So... If we start from this first story with the Wall Street Journal, from the Wall Street Journal, it says that Google is moving away from third-party cookies. And this has been a long time coming. Uh, we've seen other things like this happen with Apple getting rid of their advertiser ID or uh, mm-hmm. making not getting rid of it, but making, making it so that uh, users have to opt in to share it with other people, uh, right. other services like Facebook. Google has been the last browser to get rid of uh, third-party cookie tracking in their browser, and they're not going to start doing that to till 2022. But because their browser is not going going to do it, they're actually going to stop doing it themselves. Stop using these third-party cookies in their uh, as a method of tracking people. And right. some advertisers are saying this is good for the user because it's going to have pri- uh, give them more privacy. And then other advertisers are saying uh, this is Google being too heavy-handed, uh, and some are saying, we've been preparing for this for about 10 years. Hmm. Uh, there's another article here in the Wall Street Journal called Google's User Tracking Crackdown Has Advertising Bracing for Change. Hmm. And that's that's where you're seeing the uh, comments from the advertisers. But Google walking away from third-party cookies and stopping the use of third-party cookies is not the privacy move that it seems. Uh, Brent <laughs> Cyphers over at the Electronic Frontier Foundation is talking about what's next because Google doesn't want to stop tracking you. <laughs> and if you think about, remember, if we talked about the Facebook issue with uh, Apple not letting them have their their Facebook ID or their, right. uh, their Apple advertising ID unless they ask for it. And I said at that point in time that Facebook is still going to track you across all their apps and everything they own, which includes, uh, you know, WhatsApp. They're, they had that uh, that privacy or the uh, the update to the WhatsApp terms and conditions that they kind of backed off of. Uh, yep. They're on, you know, they own Instagram, they own Facebook. They're still tracking you and building a, a model of you inside of your, your, their services. 
And it looks like Google is trying to do the same thing. But the problem here is that Google is the leader in the web browser uh, market. They, mm -hmm. they have the largest share of web browsing. This article from Bennett Ciphers talks about a, uh, a Google proposal called the Federated Learning of Cohorts or Flock, mm. right? Uh, and this is a browser add-on or capability or, or feature, if you will, uh, that has, I love that this, that uh, Bennett puts privacy or uh, quotes around this, that says the privacy sandbox. And they say it will be better than the world we have today. But Google has gone to the WC3, which is the standard bodies for the web. Uh, and in the uh, web advertising business group, which is a, a group within the WC3, primarily made of ad tech vendors, uh, they have been proposing a bunch of technical standards to go into Flock, which include things like pigeon, turtle dove, sparrow. They're all bird, uh, bird <laughs> names. They're cute. Yeah. Alfred Hitchcock fans are, are not uh, put at ease by, right. by this uh, the, this naming decision, but that's all right. <laughs> Neither am I. Let me quote this article. Each of the bird proposals is designed to perform one of the functions in the targeted advertising ecosystem that is currently done by cookies. Right. Mm. So what that means is Google is putting out to the world, hey, we're getting rid of we're getting rid of third party cookies. We're finally coming in line with this. Uh, right. But keep using our web browser because that's where we're <laughs> right. tracking you now. Now we have cupcakes. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> You're going totally to love different. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> of course, right. users can get around this by going to something like Firefox or Brave or uh, some other privacy centered browser. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to me in the Wall Street Journal uh, article, they uh, they quote Jonathan Mayer, who's a professor of computer science at Princeton University. He says, uh, these are proposals that read like a company that's under enormous regulatory pressure and is trying to find a last-minute plausible compromise to stave off regulation. They've done the easy stuff, and they haven't done the hard questions. Right. I think that's an interesting insight. I, I think it is. Um, here's my concern with this, uh, and one of my primary concerns with regulation is if the regulations are written in such a way that they ban something like third-party cookies, they still don't ban Google from doing this kind of tracking in something that's their own software product, right? right. And I don't know that they should do that. Uh, you know, Google produces the web browser, the Chrome web browser. So, you know, it, what they do with that web browser is really up to them. And the users uh, make that decision. The web is everybody's, I would say. The web is almost like the airwaves. I like to think of the web as the airwaves. And that, that should be, uh, or the internet as a whole, as, as the public airwaves. It's something mm -hmm. that everybody should have access to. And you're talking about not being tracked on the internet just because you're using the internet. That everybody yeah. can get on board with. But if you're going to agree to use my piece of software that I provide you, either for free or for a, a fee, I'm, I'm not so ready to agree to not being tracked, to not allowing Google to track people using that because there are other options out there for people and they have to make that decision. Yeah, I suppose you could say it's more sporting to have people opt in than opt out. I would agree with that 100%. I think that's a, a, a better ethical stance is to have people opt in. And... There is no better way to have people opt in or opt out than by using different software. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, interesting stuff for sure. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. It lasts a good long time. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.